to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that usually has a joke here, but is intently following hurricane season and our hearts go out to people impacted in Florida and Puerto Rico. I'm Moji Elawode-El, joined by Marie Khan. Hello to all our OnlyFans. OnlyFans? Yes. Moji, this is dual purpose video right here. (laughs) (laughs) You've again only got Mojers and me this week. Liz is continuing to tour the Midwest instead of talking with us. We are going to miss her, especially because today is International Podcast Day, which is a celebration of the power of podcasts. And Marie, I'm feeling pretty powerful today. Yup, same. We're excited to be some of your podcast friends and hope you're energized by the information we collect and share with you every week. Today on the pod, we're laughing at the Texas Attorney General pulling a Josh Hawley We're talking about Arizona's pre-statehood abortion ban that just went into effect and also reminding you that Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States and we need to protect abortion access there. Plus, we talked to Paula Avia Guillen, executive director of the Women's Equality Center, about the ongoing fight for abortion rights in Latin America. And comedian musician Jen Kwok is joining us to lighten the mood. As always, we'll also bring you a rundown of some of the good, the bad, and the ugly in Repro News this week. But first, Marie? Okay, so this week on Wednesday was International Safe Abortion Day, which is an important and specific concept that we need to talk about. It was first celebrated as a day of action for decriminalization of abortion in Latin America and the Caribbean in 1990. And something that we know here at FBK especially that one of the foundational steps to making sure folks can access a safe abortion, whether it's pills or with surgical care, is not criminalizing it. And the Latin communities and countries, they've especially been the ones who've been at the center of colonized and genocidal spaces. Now, pivot to why, especially now, this is important to talk about and think about. One of the entities in the middle of this turmoil is Puerto Rico, a colonized territory that since 1898 the U.S. has claimed control of, Puerto Ricans were experimented on, for example, for birth control medication development. As a contemporary territory of the U.S. still, Puerto Rico doesn't fall under American laws and doesn't have a gestational restriction on abortion yet. But their Senate did pass a 22-week ban this summer. So fast forward, why is this important for Marie and Moji's chat? Right before Roe fell, When this 22-week abortion ban um, was put forward, it was by extremist anti-abortion politicians, the same kind we see in the States. In particular, uh, cardiologist and pastor, (laughs) what a combination, Dr. Cesar Vasquez (laughs) Muniz is one of these folks. He created Proyecto Dignidad, a party, uh, Project Dignity, that came about in 2019 on platforms including Christian democracy and anti-corruption. He holds a Senate seat and he's trying to get a six week abortion ban started. Oh, he looked at Texas and he was like, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Just absolutely disgusting. And literally it's one Senate seat. This is an incredibly tight. Like this is not a party of the people, you know, that Puerto Rico, Puerto Rican communities were not, you know, presumably saying, hey, we need a party that's going to go after like these two areas. No, they probably were like, we need a party that is going to go after, you know, either statehood or freedom or, you know, at least some help when we have uh, natural disasters. Yep. So one of the things that worries me is seeing the type of politicians we have here in the U.S. Now, that type of mindset emerging in other spaces and that type of party and thought process. For instance, one of the folks who's on Project Dignity, one of the representatives, the day after um, Roe was overturned, She filed a bill, like a symbolic bill, but it was set up to penalize folks in Puerto Rico who had abortions with a 99-year jail term. I mean, okay, who does that serve ever? No one, but it's like, it's like a scary smoke signal. Like, oh, hey, we're doing this, we're planning this. And these, these are community spaces of folks where like abortion hasn't been an abortion addressed in this way. We haven't seen. And I know we're gonna hear from other folks too on the pod today that are gonna talk about other spaces in Latin America, but- just something to flag right here that this is this is scary. 
It's really terrifying and also unnecessary and just a, a space we need to watch. And also we need to support Puerto Ricans in maintaining their abortion access. Yes. All right. Well, it's time to get back to our other 50 state news. Moji, anything good for us? Nope. Only bad stuff. Um, <laughs> it's just <laughs> all I got. Montana has a Born Alive Act. Um, basically, the Montana's cruel politicians have sponsored a bill and put it on the ballot that would require doctors to provide invasive and unnecessary care to infants born with lethal fetal abnormalities. And usually the standard of care is if a uh, child is born with these I- these issues, they would be wrapped up, held in its parents' arms until it peacefully expired. This law would require doctors to instead do all kind of stuff that would not change the outcome, just sort of brutalize the body and probably traumatize the parents. They put this on the ballot, and I think that people in Montana need to look at it, not listen to the sneaky language, and vote against it. Speaking of sneaky votes, Kansas is getting sneaky about banning abortion after failing at being sneaky about banning abortion. (laughs) We all remember this summer, uh, they were like, we're going to put this middle of the summer, weirdly worded ballot initiative on the ballot, and Kansans are going to vote to change our constitution. And Kansians almost universally said, oh, hell no. (laughs) Well, the legislature is trying to change the constitution so they can sneak in anti-choice judges that will amend the constitution or at least hold up unconstitutional legislation. So this plan is in the works because apparently, you know, dedicated Republicans can't take no for an answer. Um, So we just got to watch that space and kind of stay aware of what's going on with them. And also in dystopian horror news, the faculty at University of Idaho have been informed that they cannot talk about birth control or abortion with students. And if they provide things like condoms, it has to be specifically for the purpose of helping present the spread of STDs, but not for the purpose of birth controls. And this restriction applies to teachers. It provides... um, applies to health professionals at the school, it it applies to guidance counselors, and basically any other trusted adult a student would want to talk to, they cannot go to for real evidence-based information about birth control and abortion. They instead have to go to Google, which we all know will point you to a fake clinic in a minute. Um, And part of this is because the Idaho abortion ban is written so vaguely that lawyers have decided to just err on on the side of silencing literally everyone about this um, because a lot of times these bills are written and no one actually thinks it through. So now I need to lay down. Marie, do you have anything to revive me with? Uh, Thankfully, yes. I have the joy of highlighting three items of good abortion news. California legislators are listening to what their constituents want when it comes to abortion protections. Proposition one is up for vote this November, and it explicitly states that the state can't deny or interfere with someone's reproductive decisions. And it goes as far as to say their fundamental right to choose to have an abortion and fundamental right to choose or refuse contraceptives, which is great. California is confronting their history of imprisoned folks being sterilized, being brutalized. And they're saying you have a right to refuse to be subjected to reproductive medication as well. Right spot number two, abortion continues to be legal in North Dakota, thanks to a judge. This state has a trigger ban on abortion, and that meant that when Roe fell, it was active. But the lone clinic in the state, the Red River Women's Clinic, they filed a lawsuit. And so far, that suit's maintained and endured, and so this ban has continued to be blocked. Nice. Yes. And lastly, I was very excited to wake up to this news in particular. Shout out to my coworker, Allison, who messaged me this yesterday. So coincidentally, right after International Safe Abortion Day, India's Supreme Court declared abortion up to 24 weeks as legal now for anyone, regardless of marital status. This is amazing news. I really hope Pakistan is watching and thinking. This law replaces a law in India from 1971 that only allowed certain communities to get abortion care, like those that were married, widowed, who'd been sexually assaulted. This is a much more humane approach to health care. As always, these stories will be in the show notes. And we remind you, for the most up-to-date resource on finding an abortion clinic near you in the U.S. is INeedAn.com. Now it is time to enter the bullshit zone for real. You're going to get some engagement between Moji and I. It's it's no longer just a sweet little list. 
We're going to move on first to who, Moji? Who's up to bat? Oh, Ken Paxton. He's a runner. He's a track star. Ah. He's also Texas's attorney general and notorious chode. That's right. One Ken Paxton was literally running from abortion providers this week. Okay, not actually. He was literally running from a process server. And that process server had legal paperwork from abortion rights activists. And all they wanted to do was get him to come and talk about preventing prosecution when they help Texans get out of state for abortion care. Anyway, server waited for an hour in the Paxton doorway while he managed to get his wife, Angela, to drive a getaway car away. I want to just point out that this asshole like fought and won against the Biden administration's direction that, oh, I don't know, a pregnant person who needs urgent urgent medical care should get urgent medical care. So he's really comfortable sentencing Texans to discomfort and near death. But apparently he just can't receive papers from a person who seems a little brown. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, he literally said there was a stranger on my porch. But by the time he got to that point, the stranger had introduced himself to his wife, Angela, <laughs> given him his card and dude waited an hour and then was like, I'm going to run away. So we've learned a couple of important things. A, Angela Paxton is the last line of defense in the Paxton <laughs> household. <laughs> They have a bunch of Chevrolets and uh, this lawyer does not know how the law works. So there's that. I also got some other bullshit, Marie. That's also popping. Yes. Yes. What else is going on within, within this lovely, lovely nation? If you pay any attention to abortion news, you know that Arizona has banned abortion as of the 23rd of September, I believe. And they used the law from 1864. Just to give you some context, besides the 18 and we're in 20 now, Arizona (laughs) became a state in 1912. Anyway, this ban, it bans abortion. It mandates two to five years in prison for anyone who provides an abortion or means for abortion. And I also want to remind you that in 1865, only white men can vote. And the legal age of marriage for a girl was 10. Cool. 10. So that's disgusting. Um, In Arizona, in March, the governor, Governor uh, Doug Ducey, Ducey? How do you say this, Marie? Douche. I think it's douche. Douche. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm so bad with Anglo names. <laughs> <laughs> He'd sign into law a 15-week abortion ban in March. And the providers in Arizona are trying to use that ban versus this 1864 ban to say there is confusion and we need to stay everything while we figure this out. So it's a long shot, but I think it's what we can do. Wow. So yeah, the Pan of Arizona, it's filed an emergency motion to stay the enforcement. We'll see how that goes. But I think there's a little of a bright spot, Marie, huh? There is, because there's a couple of resources that are available to folks in Arizona. Abortion pills via telehealth, for example, not actually expressly prohibited yet. Yes. So here at Feminist Buzzkills Live, we want to recommend some really great resources that if someone is interested in exploring what options are available, and telehealth is super legal in close to half the country, a third of the country, roughly. I should know that number. Um, but we recommend Plan C, the Repro Care Healthline, and groups like Red Nasiso Abotar, which you're going to hear talk about later in the pod over in Mexico. They're getting pills to folks in the U.S., That doesn't in any way, and we're in no way trying to say that these bans are not expressly harmful, but I think we all need to look out for each other and look for any ways we can to get people the health care that they need. Also a reminder, the Americas is more than the United States of America. And today's guest is here to talk about safeguarding and furthering abortion access in Latin America. Joining us today is Paula Avila Guillén. Executive Director of the Women's Equality Center. Paula is a movement leader and a human rights lawyer, helping lead the fight to decriminalize abortion in her home country of Colombia and supporting the successful efforts in Argentina and Mexico. Welcome, Paula. We are so excited to have you here on the show with us. Um, So to get started, can you tell us about the work Women's Equality Center does and where where in the world your impact is felt? 
So I am super excited to be here in the podcast. This is really uh, an amazing opportunity. We work mainly in Latin America in different countries. We um, have done work, uh, and right now we have active work in El Salvador, Honduras, Colombia, Argentina, Chile, uh, Dominican Republic, and, and, um, and in Mexico. So it's like all over the region, but half of the team is based in the United States and half of the team is based in the region. We the, Even the team that is based in the United States, we are all immigrants. So we always have this like kind of dual perspective of feeling um, the connections that maybe sometimes are not being seen between the work that is being done here and the work that we do on the ground. And a lot of what we do is specifically working and supporting organizations that are leading the fight for abortion rights and expanding abortion rights in Latin America and making sure that those stories and that work doesn't get to be unseen. Because many of the organizations do fantastic work and they are really putting their their skin at risk Mm -hmm. with the battles that they're having. But many times the the international media and attention doesn't get to get to those stories. So we try to serve as a bridge and highlighting the stories, highlighting the issue, highlighting the reality of what is happening with abortion rights in, in Latin America. Paula, I'm so excited to have you here. You're one of the folks in particular that Colombia, your home country, mm-hmm. you, you're you one of the individuals that hopefully we're going to see in textbooks if they exist, you know, <laughs> years <laughs> from now. I wondered if you could tell us a little bit what you felt like the turning point in that fight towards decriminalization was to get to Colombia to the point now that that folks with uteruses have what they get to have. Yeah. So I would like to divide these into two aspects of the answer. One part was the legal turning point and the other part was the societal, the society, you know, the, 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 what we call social decriminalization turning point in Colombia. I think the legal turning point was the result of years of advancing slowly in courts litigation in how practically since 2006, we were able to jump from a total abortion ban to uh, a country with exceptions. And then uh, a lot of our work was to use a human rights framework. So very different than the United States, where it was based on the state should not be involved in your decisions. Mm -hmm. Here we want the state to provide the services and tell them, wait a second, this is a health issue and health is a right. And therefore you need to fulfill these rights. So we were advancing a lot of those health broader expectations in multiple issues. We started with contraception. So in Colombia, you have free accessible contraception for everybody without having to go to doctors or prescriptions, which is something they they surprised. I actually brought my IUD from Colombia to be implanted here before we had Obamacare. That's amazing! (laughs) I wasn't going to pay $500 and in Colombia it's like, it was like five dollars. Oh my goodness! In a pharmacy, you know, like so. But those, so we started with the small bottles in expanding this idea that healthcare and reproductive healthcare is something that the state should provide, right? Mm, yes. But then, then it was the social point, and the social point, unfortunately, it has a sadness to it, and it was that we were dying, like mm-hmm. we were getting hurt. If we were not dying, we were. Um, getting injured, but um, the exception system wasn't working. Even uh, the exception system included the women and anybody who could, who is pregnant could have access in cases of rape. But victims of rape don't want to go to the police to say, I'm sorry, I, you know, I need an abortion yeah. because I was raped. Like, it's just, not, it's not, that's not how it works. It's so re-victimization. It's re-victimization. Also, don't even start me with like how the police handles like <laughs> those complaints in general. But on top yeah. of that, to go and say, you know, I, I need an abortion like that is just so people were accessing abortions in in matters that were not necessarily the safest one, even though they, they is accessible to uh, medication abortion, which we know is safe. Those resources were limited to people who had privilege. So we we have an expression in in Latin America that says las ricas abortan las pobres se mueren. Rich women have abortion, poor women die, and that's what this was happening. The uh, those who have money and fell in power and have resources will always find a way to have access to abortion, but those who are in the most vulnerable situations were felt more comfortable going 
through anybody instead of going to an actual clinic to ask for abortion because they they they, they were afraid. So people were getting criminalized, people were going and people were dying. And highlighting those stories, it was a turning point for Colombia to say, you know, it's our people. They are our, this is this is us. And we are letting this happen. And I think that that helped to change a little bit of the narratives in society of like, no, this is not the country that we should, that we should be. I love that. I feel like changing hearts and minds is really an important mm-hmm. part that, I think in this country we we've lost in our in our fight <laughs> sort of um in yeah I think that's how we are even where we are right now. Um you have been and your organization have been holding El Salvador's government accountable mm-hmm. for the systematic persecution and criminalization of people who experience miscarriage or other sort of emergencies that pregnant people experience. And because of your work, over 50 people have been freed from being jailed just for basically mm-hmm. having an obstetric emergency. So how is, do you approach your work in spaces like El Salvador differently? Is it the same approach? It seems a little tougher there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very different. You know, I am all for always pushing what we believe. And if you ask me what I believe is that nobody should be telling me what to do with my life and with my body, period. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this is it. Like at uh, at any point in the pregnancy, I actually had a son. I actually have had a miscarriage and I cannot imagine like having to like give explanations or having in even in the pregnancy, not being able to make decisions. Like I just cannot even consider that. And I believe that that should be the right for everybody. I also believe that the state should guarantee those services for everybody. They, that is a duty of the government. Right. To, to guarantee those services. But in El Salvador, the situation is so dramatic. El Salvador has a total abortion ban. Women don't even, and people don't even in cases of rape, don't even in cases of incest, nothing. You are you are about to die, they let you die. Um, they, to talk about choice in the context of El Salvador, it just, it just will do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. So we are very conscious of how we talk with our partners, of how we approach the work in each context to make sure that the work is always grounded in how they feel comfortable talking about the issue and know how we believe they should be. So when we start working on Salvador, and Salvador was one of the experiences that changed my life completely. Um we start talking about trying to grant three exceptions in El Salvador, jumping from a total abortion ban to this idea that maybe there are cases in which people should have access to healthcare, right? And should have access to abortion, um, which is a very conservative speech and narrative in, in general, but that's, that was the reality of the case in El Salvador. And um, when when we went, they have told us that we were going to visit a prison where we assumed we were going to visit, uh, it was a women's prison, so we assumed we were going to visit women who had been criminalized because of abortion. When I entered the prison uh, in conditions that are awful and undescribable of what prison settings are in general, but especially in, in El Salvador, the women came out and they started sharing their stories. And None of their stories were abortion stories. All of their stories were miscarriages stories. All of them. My first instinct was, uh, you know, maybe there is something off here. So I went to the lawyer to side. I was like, what is happening? Like, maybe they are no, you know, like maybe it's, it's a language barrier, even though we were speaking Spanish, maybe the way that you say things is different because this cannot be possible that you can be in prison because of a miscarriage. Right. But still, that, that just sentenced to 20 or 30 years. In some of the cases, the child had survived and they were still sentenced for attempted murder for 15 years in prison. And I'm like, who does that benefit? How like how is how is even that possible, right? How is that even legal? And uh, so the lawyer was like, try to help us. So we start advising the legal team, and when you start looking at the files, you see things like a judge saying, "Of course, you try to get rid of the pregnancy because you are single. Of course, you try to hide this because you don't have money." Those were the motives that apparently these women have because of that. 
So it was one of the hardest work that I have done um, because it wasn't not only the fact that they were grieving their freedom, they were also grieving the loss of their children. It was just something that I only connect in my head when I lost my own pregnancy. But some of them had already set up rooms. Some of them already had names. It was just, and, and on top of that, they are like being handcuffed to bed and sent from the hospital to to, to prison. It's just, it, it was completely mm. out of this world. So it was a very, very hard work. And at that moment, also the conditions of the prison in El Salvador were awful. So at that moment, we needed to clarify, even though they were in prison because of the total abortion ban, because any type of suspicion of the, the way that these cases work is like the women arrive in the middle of a miscarriage. And because, of course, all the women shared certain things. They were all women of lower economic social backgrounds. 90% of them were single, so arrived at the hospital without a man. Uh, they were mm-hmm. um, uh, women with um, no access to education, so they don't have the agency to defend yourself, you know, to like give explanations for you. And because the doctor says, oh, well, I don't know what you did. So therefore, I am denouncing you and send you to the police. So right. It's just like crazy. A doctor, a, a That's man. That's heartbreaking. I'm going to assume a man doesn't yeah. understand what happens here. So what happens? You land in prison. I had a conversation with a prosecutor in El Salvador one time that he didn't believe the client because she said that she had bleeding during pregnancy. And he was like, That's impossible. Women don't bleed during pregnancy. And he was telling me. He was telling me. <laughs> it was impossible. I had a pregnancy and I bled. <laughs> I was like, that is not uncommon. But these all these stereotypes and all these assumptions mm-hmm. about how bodies with uterus operate, right? All these preconceptions about it. And also all these preconceptions about how usually women will lie. It's the same thing that happens when we go and denounce rape. Right. It's like, right. Really? Exactly. It's the exact it's same, same thing. thing. It's, it's the, the same, same men doing the same thing. thing. It's the yep. same thing. And it's the same thing in the United States. And it's the same thing in El Salvador. And it's the same thing in Colombia. It's the same thing in Argentina. And it's patriarchy. Right. It's, it's, it's like, yes. really, that's what it is. That that is that is so much to take. It. Like, it's, just we don't have discussions about you, but you're landing in the same spot for abortion, miscarriage, like. Yeah. Like those folks, there was no reason. They're not lying to you. They literally are landing in there. Also, I think that when we think about the dystopian future that Dobbs has unleashed in the U.S., that is what we see, right? We already see it in some states. Like people love to sort of externalize it and say, oh, that's happening in El Salvador. It's been happening in the U.S. for a while also. Um, What do you wish that you would see more from U.S. activists fighting for abortion access, both here, but also in the sort of larger Mm. Americas, right, which include Latin America? So the first thing is I would love to see a more united movement between Latino America and the United States. Um, Mm -hmm. And the aunties have a united movement globally. Very much. Heartbeat International is everywhere. Everywhere. And we still believe that we are that different. We don't even have conference with all of us connect. We don't even have events with it. So, so that would be my first wish that we start learning from each other because as being seated in the United States, I have learned so much that I have brought to Latin America that I would love to do it the other way around too, right? Like there are so many lessons from Latin America and how to even survive in the middle of very restrict environments that we know that could be useful for the U.S. right now, right? So like, I would love us to be able to exchange and have like more of a community. And in the U.S. case specifically, and this was one of the, the, the lessons that we learned in Latin America is you need to pressure your allies more than you pressure your enemies. I feel that we concentrate mm-hmm. so much in like calling out the bad guys that we forget to call out the good guys in parentheses, but the good guys for not doing their job and not doing their duty yeah. and what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that's something that they, in Latin America, maybe because they are not good and bad guys, they are just like all guys. Uh, they are all mixed with each other. We needed to pressure everybody equally. And I think that that's something that in the U.S. we need to do as well. 
I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, Marie and I, even in researching this and other research we were doing for the podcast today, we found out about Red Necesito Aborto Mm -hmm. in Mexico that is sending pills to people in America who need them. Like, I don't know. I feel like people in Mexico get that we need help in the U.S. And that was really exciting for both of us. Um, And again, something we found out this week, like researching for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the partnerships we don't know are there, but we find out when like mass gender-based violence, because that's what this is, yes. and biological, like reproductive violence coming down on our yes. communities. But yeah, we need to not get to this point before we start talking yes. about it. And, and the Mexico group, there were like actually a few uh, groups that in the border, as soon as like the Texas ban took place, yeah, they were like ready to line up and and um, Veronica Cruz, which is one of the most amazing advocates from Las Libres and, and a dear friend. Yes when, yes. when when I talked to Veronica and it's like, you know, they can be at risk. It's like, Paula, we need to do what we need to do because that's how we have been done it before. And this is what we need to do. This is this is what you do. You know, it's solidarity across uh, borders always. Uh, well, I, I am so glad you got to join us and everything. I was going to close this out with one, um, I guess one more question and your final thoughts. What do you wish more people understood about the criminalization of pregnant people? That not only people who actually choose over their bodies get criminalized, but then when you are criminalizing a health procedure, as it is an abortion, you are putting at risk everybody. So for you who don't believe in abortion and they want a pregnancy and you end up in a situation where you need to go to the hospital for healthcare in a state that is criminalizing, you might be under suspicion. Right now, you might think that that has nothing to do with you. Oh, no, 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 no. It has everything to do with you. And I think they, this is this such, a such idea of, oh, no, that will never happen to me because I will never choose an abortion. Criminalization is nothing about choice. Criminalization is about criminalizing healthcare, punishing, persecuting people just for existing, for who we are and what do we have inside. I, I have always said this is, has never been about abortion. If you really want to reduce the number of abortions, you know what you have to do. You need to have access to contraception. You need to have uh, sexual education. You need to have a uh, free abortion. You need to have mortality, uh, comprehensive care. You need to have parental leave. Those, all of those things will reduce the number of abortions if that is really your policy goal. What they are doing in restricting is trying to control us. And they are not controlling us because we are choosing. They are controlling us because of who we are. Because we are a threat to their system. We are a threat to their existence. And I think the, the, the best way to control us is to send us to prison and to criminalize it. Like, that's just going to happen. I mean, and we have seen how criminalization has been a tactic from also white supremacists for a very long time to put down and, and Black people. Like, it, it is. in Like, we know it. So, it's not going to be different when it comes to criminalizing people with uterus. We are a threat of who they are, so they are going to send us to prison. And I think regardless of if it's a choose abortion or versus a miscarriage or other type of situation. And the other part is that when you open the door of a criminalization of a health services, that's just the start. They are going to start with this, but we already seen that they are trying to criminalize uh, and they are trying to ban uh, health procedures and health support for trans people. Like this is just yeah. this is there is this is you, you are allowing one thing. This is just going to come next. And the, the, in Honduras, we are still fighting because there is a total ban on emergency contraception. So, like this is this is just the beginning. Uh, Which, to just to your point, if your point is to reduce abortions, abortion, emergency contraception is yeah. a, a, a tool right there in your arsenal. I know, but it's not. It's about power. It's always about power. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Paula, so much for joining us. I wish we could talk for an hour. It's been really wonderful getting to be in community with you. Everyone, you can all follow her on Twitter and Instagram at P-A-U-A-V-I-L-G. And check out the work of Women's Equality Center at la-wec.org. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. And so much solidarity. And, you know, I'm a Latina, oh. so hugs, 
hugs for all of you. (laughs) Oh, Paula, thank you. This was so good. And now it's time for our commercial break. We couldn't do this show without the support of our fake sponsors. And this episode is brought to you by a new rideshare app called Griff. Let's say you're a conservative politician who spent the last few decades publicly railing against abortion. Then, uh uh-oh, your mistress gets pregnant. Sound familiar? Then you need Grift, the rideshare app specifically created to get your privileged side piece to their abortion appointment quickly and discreetly. So you can keep on spouting rhetoric that keeps regular folks from accessing the very same thing. Grift is unique. Our team of drivers are made up of abortion providers your policies put out of business, so you are also creating jobs. You just download the app with your truth social handle, and within minutes, drivers will arrange pickup from the abortion discreetly and with an NDA. In fact, if you order now using the promo code HYPOCRITE, you can get 20% off your first Grift Deluxe ride. It's so great to know that there is finally a service that takes care of the abortions destined by God grift because the only abortion exception should be to save the life of the politician that sounds like an excellent service marie right there's a space for this i feel like it's a a market that has not been fully tapped in the right way you know i think that someone dedicated to this particular level of hypocrisy is right we've been underserved i mean they don't need they don't need an abortion fund the rich and famous but this is what this is what it would look like Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Anyway, let's go on to our comedy guest. Joining us today is comedian, musician, actor, and part of upcoming Do-Re-Mi 2, Jen Kwok, everyone. Woo! Hey, Jen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Marie and I are perpetual rage machines, but like, let's start light. What's giving you joy these days? Oh my God, what's giving me joy? Fall. And I feel like that's so basic, but this summer was crazy. We had droughts that I live upstate and like the grass was dead. The trees were looking saggy. And I was like, this is sad. And I was like, if you're going to fall, just fall. Let's go. Like, so the last (laughs) few days, it's crispy. The leaves are falling. I'm like, yes, just do what you got to do. This is what you've been trying to do for weeks. (laughs) Just own it. (laughs) Own it. (laughs) (laughs) nice well marie and i are also aggressive tiktok lurkers like half of our conversation is sending each other tiktoks yes how i get my news yeah it's it's literally how we share news but you actually post funny shit we don't post anything um so as another adult on tiktok (laughs) can you tell us about your tiktok journey (laughs) so i am an elder millennial and i put it off for so long like i feel like during the pandemic that was a whole thing like everybody was like you just have to get on tiktok grab your relatives and just dance to the weekend and like you know this it's a huge party and i just resisted it for so long because i was like i can't do another social media platform i was like i i skipped over snapchat but then once I, I, de- I decided to download um, TikTok and I was like, this, I was like, this is actually really cute. Like people are really positive towards each other. And mm-hmm. um, and then I had an idea for a song. I hadn't put out a, a comedic song in a, a few years, I think. And I just had this idea for like a 60 second song. And I was like, TikTok's the place place I, where I need to like upload this. So that that's when I finally, finally the straw that broke my camel back. Camel toe, but it's the camel back for me. I like camel toe better personally. I don't want that to break though. Mm. I want to keep it intact. Strained your camel to God. I know now I'm going down a direction. Speaking of your comedic songs, I and I really, if you haven't, if folks who haven't had the opportunity to listen to you, I really hope they will because. While your songs are hilarious, like the amount of knowledge and just the subtext and the calls out on racial justice, on gender equity is really, really cool in the material that you have. And I wondered why do you choose to address the topics you address in your comedic songs, which includes reproductive care? What's your what's your rationale for your content choices? I mean, I have been doing this for a while, like since I would say like the early 2000s. And 
there wasn't anybody like me who was really doing this. You know, I mean, we have Margaret Cho, who's going to be on the Dore Me Too, which she is my mm -hmm. icon. Like yeah. there would be no me. There wouldn't be a lot of people without her. Yes. So yep. like just the fact of seeing someone like just saying their truth. And there was a lot of things that I was like, people are not saying what I'm thinking. But I know that there are people who think this as well. And so for me, it's really just, um, you know, like Taylor Swift is like, I need to write about these exes. You know, it's like whatever's at the top of your mind for me, what's at the top of my mind is people judging me on how I look. What's on the top of mind is like the things that are that are wrong in our society, you know, the people that are hurting. And so kind of like I think my my skill that I've honed over time is to take that really hard, difficult stuff and and turn it into something that is like funny and palatable. So, you know, to not be like, oh, I feel so depressed about this, but it's like, this really fucking sucks. And like, how can we like poke fun at it? So that's kind of my thing. It's like the laughter as medicine, music as medicine combined. It's an amazing tactic. Um, well, what are you working on now? So I'm actually working on not comedic music. Um, I oh. spent, yeah. So so the thing is, like, as a musician, I've always been kind of all over the place. And so that that was kind of, like, hard for a long time to be like, oh, like, I want to write, like, this kind of folksy song. I want to write this kind of, you know, hilarious song that is just literally punchline after punchline after punchline. And, like, you know, the internet media in general, they want to pigeonhole you and be like, you just do this sort of like down tempo song about trees or like, you know, like whatever, like very iterative thing. And so, um, so I've kind of embraced it all. And so the last year I spent uh, working on a lot of client work at children's music. Uh, oh, yeah. I so Last year, around this time, uh, I wrote the um, the song for Jiang from Sesame Street, and like her intro song on the song that they had at the the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So, and then I did a couple more things for Sesame, and then I did a lot of kind of like um like you know EDM, like very like mainstream podcast themes. And so for me, when I go one direction as an artist. Then for my own stuff, I need to go the other direction. So I was like, I don't want to do anything too kid. I don't want to do anything too funny. Like, I'm like, I want to do something totally opposite. So, so I have actually a couple, uh, like chill hop songs coming out. I love chill hop. I'm sorry. What is chill hop? I may not know this genre. Chill hop. Okay. So you've definitely heard it before, but it's basically like really cool, like kind of jazzy piano with like a hip hop beat. And it, mm. a lot of people use it as kind of like background music or, it, you know, if you go on <laughs> Apple and you're like, I need to study and it's like study beats. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then it's got like a picture of like rain and like a neon something. It's like a, a kind of... It, I was reading this article about it. it's kind of like our generation's uh, new age. So, okay. Because it kind of like blisses you out. But like, instead of just being like, you know, with sense, like there's got a beat to it. So you have something that just kind of like relaxes your body almost. So, um, so I've always been interested in that, you know, how music can be used to heal. So like kind of, you know, kind of taking, not the, taking the words out of it, but like going a, a step deeper then, then comedy, which is, I feel like, kind of like the first for me, that's the first layer of defense. And then after that, then what? So like, you know, I've been meditating for, I mean, I would say like almost like 10 years now. And so the last, the, the two songs um, that I've been working on, they're, they're just like to chill you out. Like one is like, go to sleep. And then the other one is, um, is like, what do you do with your thoughts? Like, here comes a thought, just, you know, chill listen to yourself center <laughs> and these are songs without lyrics or with lyrics like are they instructive so they do have lyrics i have to say the one so the one for sleep is a little bit instructive like mm -hmm. i i just kind of like um so like i i really love to experiment after i'm like okay listen this is how you do a, a three-minute pop song for a kid like i um i i worked with my producer we created this loop and i just improvised to it and I was just like singing, like restore, sleep, close your eyes, lay down. And then we use my voice as a sample and kind of just like put it around and turn into this like hypnotic thing. Oh. Yes. And then uh, Here Comes a Thought is a cover of, do you guys watch uh, Steven Universe? 
Of course. I, oh my God. Is that not the best cartoon? It's so, I cannot believe that I only just discovered it. So when I was working on this Sesame project, one of my collaborators, um, the lyricist, uh, is an indigenous writer who she was like, this is kind of where my brain is going. And she sent me the Steven Universe song. And I was like, I love songs this are so good. So much. Yeah. So good. I love this so much. And it speaks to me so much that I was like, I want to do a cover of this and just do this like luscious version of it. Um, so which song? Uh, I like I discovered Steven Universe when I was breastfeeding because I was like, I don't know. I need something to watch when I'm like laying around with this person attached to me. Yes. And Steven Universe would like make me cry. And my partner was like, what is happening? But now he is also addicted to the show that it's is so good. So beautiful. <laughs> and it's about like self-acceptance and working together and like embracing yourself. So um, so here comes the thought. It's the um, it's the duet between Estelle. I don't know the the characters' names, but it's like the singer Estelle, you know, the character she plays, uh -huh. and Garnet, yes, and Allie from Allie and AJ. So they sing it as mm -hmm. two women singing as a duet together. And oh, so that character, I'm sorry that this is not a Steven Universe podcast, but um, that character literally exists because she is the product of love between these two characters. Like Estelle plays this character that is like two other characters that join together and fuse to this one like mega character that is literally a physical manifestation of like love. Anyway, oh, I'm getting teary. I love everybody should be watching Steven Universe. They're like seven seasons in a movie and a sing-along and it's just incredible. Um, So that song, I love that song. It's a beautiful song. It's a love song. You kind of. I think I I yes, it's definitely from love. But I I feel like it's like oh my god, something that I wish that um like people would tell like in that moment when you're just like oh my brain is going over the place, I have anxiety, like ADHD, mm -hmm. you know, and then and it's just like hey, calm down, you know. So so yeah, that that's kind of the the place that we're coming from with the like let's chill with the lyrics and so with the music. Where do we find these songs? Because I feel like I need some chill house. They're, they're gonna drop like around the time that we do do um do re me too. So awesome! So yeah. in a week or so two, I literally just like hit the submit button, and because the thing is like now being an artist, like even like I love my happy place is being in the studio and like thinking about what to make and how to make it and going with all the notes and being like this should be this and that should be that, but I am not so great at like marketing doing graphic design and so i my sister literally showed me like ai generated art and so i was like so i like learned it and i did you know i did the whole thing and so i was like all right here we go upload literally uploaded them yesterday so they're coming they're coming i cannot wait i'm so excited um we are also excited because you are in do re mi too which is coming out around the same time which is the 6th of october so we are not allowed to spoil the songs because one of the funs of Doremi 2 is like watching it and then just seeing, being surprised by like the artistry and the beauty. But we do like to ask, um, when you chose your song, were you like surprised to see it on the list or were you like, oh, this is a trash song that I've totally been eyeing, side-eyeing for like decades or years or months? So my relationship to this song is, it is a good song it's got an amazing They're melody so it good so vibey yep. and that's what is so insidious about it is that you are just flowing to this beat and not thinking about how gross the message is mm -hmm. and so this is a song that i'll say has been covered a lot and it was at a time when i feel like we were not as aware of what was going on so you have a lot of people who are just like amazing singers and doing a very pleasant and beautiful and like cool version of this song and and i at the time when it came out i was like i was like oh i'd love to like you know try my hand at because I, I like this melody da, da, da. and when i when i tried to like learn it i was like oh no this is not this is not jiving with me i was like i can't be so like for me, like, I can't just cover any song. Like, I'll never, like, like you cannot just, like, hire me to, like, come to your house and be like, Jen, just, like, do a Jenny Yoki or, like, you know, and just, like, sing <laughs> a bunch of songs. Because I'm like, I'm like, I, ha I can only sing this song if it truly resonates with my soul. So um, I, I could never sing this song. But when I saw it on the list, I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to sing this song with the awareness, like mm -hmm. you know, seven years later or whenever it was released. So so I'm I'm really excited about like I basically with this song, everything that the original artist did, I tried to do the opposite. So like the arrangement is very like cold and the delivery is very like, 
straight ahead and matter of fact. And I was like, let's put the emotion back in it because you are having a temper tantrum. So let's actually like get angry and let's actually like be in how ridiculous, you know, you sound. So, I, um, yes, I cannot wait. Thank you. Yeah, I had I had a lot of fun with this one. Well, thank you so much, Jen. We are so excited that you could join us today on the podcast. For everybody listening, you can follow Jen at Jen Kwok on Twitter and at Jen Kwok, Jen Kwok on IG and TikTok. So both of those options are available. Thanks again, Jen Kwok. You can catch Jen, Nico Case, Margaret Cho, and a host of other incredible feminist artists. Drag your favorite sexist song at our Do Re Mi Tu event streaming next Thursday, October 6th. Go to DoReMeToo.com to get tickets for the show. Thank you so much, Paula Avila Gulien, for joining us. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at P-A-U-A-V-I-L-G. Thanks so much for listening. We are here for you as we navigate these dark days. We want to be a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some of these really hard times ahead. We are in this together. We got you. Subscribe, write a review, give us five star. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you are helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest Repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. FBK Live is edited by Remy DeTournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. And we have a couple of action items for you. If you missed our training kickoff to Operation Save Abortion, don't worry. You can watch all the sessions, access the activity guide, and sign up for upcoming trainings at operationsaveabortion.com. If you're in New York City, come check out our booth at Atlantic Antic on Sunday, October 2nd from 12 p.m. noon to 6 p.m. Moji and Liz will be there handing out stickers and selling teas. And the following day, Monday, October 3rd, Liz will be having an incredible conversation about protecting democracy with Maya Wiley, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights on Voter Suppression and New York State Assembly member Deborah J. Glick at the Cooper Union Great Hall in New York City. The event starts at 6.30 p.m. And next FBK, we will be joined by comedian and actor Gina Berlin. Lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. And finally... A man who shows his whole fundamentalist, fanatical ass. I'm not coming off the wall to debate you about that. There are zero reasons any abortion clinic should ever be open. Ever. Planned Parenthood is a satanic death cult, and I pray they all burn down. In the name of God, I pray they all burn down. Feminist Buzzkills Live, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. If you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills.